Welcome to the Total Freedom Podcast, where you can build your total freedom lifestyle and live your life doing what you want, when you want, with whomever you want. And now, here is your host, John Racine. Welcome to another episode of the Total Freedom Podcast. I am extremely excited for today's guest. This is an amazing woman. She has completed mindfulness fundamentals courses with the Mindful Schools. She's written a ton of freelance writing stories for places like Huffington Post, Your Tango, Pop Sugar, and a number of others. She's been a regular contributor to Gottman Institute. She's won awards like Best Blogger, Woman of the Year, 40 Under 40, and Emerging Leader. She started her own nonprofit called Do Good Date Night that's inspired hundreds of people to volunteer. She's appeared on Fox, NBC, and the Weather Weather Network. And on top of that, she has her own podcast called 60 Mindful Minutes. I am so pleased to bring in Kristen Minieri. Kristen, welcome. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. I really appreciate my, it. It's great to My pleasure. And I'm so excited to have you on because I think you've got a message that is so critically important, especially in this current time as we're recording this. Uh, I'm still under a stay-at-home order because of the pandemic. I'm imagining you are too. We're here in the same state. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure. So the message that you share in a time like this, it is so timely. What is the message you're sharing these days? Get still. Just get still. I think that when we start to reframe that this isn't happening to us, but this is happening for us. And I don't say that without acknowledging that there's a a lot of people going through a lot of pain and a lot of stress and a lot of fear. But if we can just get still in a moment and use this, especially those of us on stay at home order, no longer having to maybe get up really early, maybe no longer having a commute, maybe finally having the opportunity to go for a morning walk, we can actually see that this terrible crisis has opened up an opportunity for many of us to find space and time that we always said we didn't have space or time for. And that is to go within, to to journal, to meditate, to just sit in stillness, but just to do some long overdue reflection about the living of our lives. And I may be in the minority on this, and I've shared this on some other podcasts that I've been on, but I've said that the stay-at-home order or, you know, shelter in place, whatever you want to call it, is actually a gift. And I think I might be in the minority of people that feel that way, but I think that goes along with what you're saying. You know, I have done um, just... I, I read a lot. <laughs> I, I love reading. And one of the reasons why I do is that I think we can only live the life we're living. I'm only going to get the perspectives that I get based on the experiences that I get and the, and the people I meet. And so when I read about other people's experiences, it's like I kind of get to live their life. And I, I've read things where people say cancer was a gift. My divorce was my gift. Losing my child was my gift. And To those of us who haven't gone through those things, that's like preposterous. How could it be? But when we live life like we can squeeze some meaning and purpose out of the pain and struggle that we have, that that it has some sort of meaning other than just like life sucks and then you die, then we start to actually extrapolate some wisdom. Like we actually grow and we get better. And you don't have to, you know, we can arrive at whenever we finally get a vaccine or 
we're told by our government that we're allowed to do things or you can just arrive there and be like, whew, glad I dodged that bullet. Or you could arrive there and just, and, and be changed. And that all of that starts with his intention now, like the intention, like I'm going to intend for this to change me, to evolve me, to have me grow, to have me learn something, see something. And that could be something as simple as like, I love my morning walk. I've been doing it ever since the beginning of March. I would have told you before then that I don't have time for that. It doesn't fit into my schedule. And I will, I mean, mark my words. I, I will always have a morning walk. It is so such a wonderful gift that has come out of this experience that I, I resisted for so long. And it's just like, I'll take it. I got changed just that, that little bit. I got changed because of this and I'll take it. I'll take that. And I can relate, but mine is the evening walk because it, it gets a little too hot yeah. in the morning for me. So I tend to do it a little bit later on in the day so I can completely relate. Yeah. Yeah. The sun is coming up a lot earlier now. So my 7.15 a.m. sunrise walk with a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> now my 7.15 full-blown sun. I have to wear my sunglasses and I don't bring a sweater. So yes, I might actually have to start getting up even a little earlier so that, it, yeah, because it's getting warm here. Exactly. So. I'm going to imagine that you haven't always been this conscious type of person that you are today. I'm assuming you probably went through some journey to get there. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wish <laughs> and I wish I'd started it earlier, but you you're on the path that you're on and you get the teachers you get when you're ready for them. But I think I really started to double down on my my personal evolution journey when I became a mom. And it was part realizing, oh, I'm creating people <laughs> like they're. I have an influence on them. I make, I make a difference with what I do and what I say. But I also think I realized that I needed to be there for me. Like I needed mothering to make sense. There's such a minutia and, and monotony in parenting. It's another breakfast, another lunch, another dinner, go to sleep, do it all over again. That if, if that's all it is, a grind, if I don't ever look for some sort of purpose or value in it beyond just, I just have to feed these kids. It would feel really, I don't know, maybe meaningless, but just like drudgery. Like life becomes such drudgery when we lose the, the glow or the essence of it. You know what I mean? So I think for me, when I became a mom, it was like, okay, I really have to start taking care of myself. And that starts with my my soulful life, you know, my spiritual life. Is there a stark difference from then to now? Yeah, certainly as I've been more and more intentional about making this a, a staple in my life, the place that I see the change most is in my mothering. I always tell people, if you want to see a return on your investment in terms of an effort to have mindfulness, to actually practice mindfulness really rigorously, Nowhere you'll see that ROI faster than with your parenting, your patience, your compassion, the way you can slow down, the way you can stop losing it. I mean, that, that whole expression, losing it, denotes that I got lost. I went somewhere and I didn't know I went away. So it's like the total opposite of mindfulness. Like I, I'm, I disappeared. 
And we've all had that, that feeling as a parent or, or in any case, when, when we come back to ourselves and just think, Oh God, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And so I don't want to go through my entire, you know, child rearing years feeling like that, <laughs> like feeling like, Oh my God, I can't believe I did it again. And so for the, the effort, the time that I put in for mindfulness to just be more conscious and intentional as a human being, it has such a quick, it pays such a quick dividend in the living of our life together with our kids, you know? And so, so yeah, hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And was it a complete self-discovery journey or did you invest in yourself along the way? You know, I, I had the sort of serendipitous fortune of when I was in my 20s working for a motivational speaker. And up until that point, I never had read anything that wasn't assigned to me. Like, I, only, I had an English degree, and so I had to read a lot <laughs> during my university years. And that wasn't just for that degree, but like anytime you, you just have to, like reading is like, you just, it's like assigned, you just have to do it. And then I met Richard and Sue, and they read for development. They, they, they did things because they knew that they could get better. Like they started talking about things like you design your life. Like you're the architect of your life. Your life doesn't happen to you. You create it. And it was like, what? I didn't know that. So I worked with them for quite a number of years and just drank so much of the Kool-Aid that by the time I left, it was just part of who I was like a lifelong learner, a lifelong seeker, someone who just had a real curiosity about our lived human experience, what it means to be a part of this human species, these amazing, infuriating people. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, um, yeah, I, I think once you get on that course, it just sort of sticks with you. And so it's definitely self-prescribed now. And I spend an hour every morning doing my inner work. Um, but it, I, I can't imagine not doing it. I just, I, I find it fascinating. I find myself fascinating. You know, I do the same thing. I do my own inner work first thing in the morning. I struggled in the beginning. I was trying to do the traditional meditation and it just wasn't working for me. And I eventually found Centerpoint with their audios, which make it really easy for me. And I've noticed that a miraculous change. What is part of your morning working on yourself type of routine that you would share? Yeah, well, I'll definitely share it. But the other, but before I do, I'll just say, your, your morning practice is kind of like your diet. Like you might love sardines on your Caesar salad and I might just be so repulsed by that. Like, so we have to find the flavor of our practice that works for us and not like we never want it to be challenging or we only want to take that low hanging fruit, but like some people might find traditional meditation really uncomfortable, especially at first, if they're not used to just sitting. Some people might prefer some really mindful movement. And some people might jump into a, a Pema Chodron book and think, what is she talking about? But they can read Dan Harris or uh, Alan Watts all day long. So you, I think you just have to keep at it. Like you wouldn't walk into a grocery store, buy one thing, and then think, well, that's it. I hate food. <laughs> I didn't like that. No, you'd go and you'd be like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. So, so keep trying. But what works for me after many iterations, after lots of evolution, is I do a 20 to 30 minute meditation. I put a timer on 
And I use various practices of breath counting and box breathing and um, anchoring sounds. Sometimes I just let, let my brain just sniff around like a puppy. <laughs> you know, when you first let them outside, I just, I just let, them, let my brain do that. And then I'll journal for about 20 minutes and then I'll read for about 20 minutes. So mine's about a 60 minute practice broken up into those, those three blocks. Pretty similar to what I do. The only one I haven't gotten into is the journaling yet. And definitely a piece I need to move into. At least I feel I need to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Journaling came really intuitively to me. Like it's just very, a very organic process to me, but I'm learning, especially with my students, it's not that way for many, many people. And I think especially for men, journaling feels like a very feminine thing to do. Like this whole dear diary. They, they, when we were kids, they didn't make diaries for boys. The diaries were pink and they had a heart shaped locket on it to, to keep it closed so that your brother didn't <laughs> open it. <laughs> but so I think people who are like, well, I don't journal and I don't like, what would I even do? Just like meditation, there's so many w ways in, there's so many ways to do it. Journaling is the, is it the exact same. And one of the ways that I read about years ago that I found was really helpful and useful was in a book called Writing Down Your Soul. And what she, the way she journals, it's as if she's writing to someone. It's as if, as if she's having a conversation. And in her case, it's with God. But in your case, it could be the Dalai Lama. It could be Gandhi. It could be a, an uncle that meant something to you years ago. It doesn't matter. But the idea is that I'm, I'm, I'm questioning. I'm, why am I feeling so frustrated? Why am I feeling so lost? And then I'm allowing this deep inner knowing to actually answer the question for me. So it ends up being this really cool dialogue and it's very free flow. Like you're not really thinking too hard. It's just like pen to paper, just writing what, what seems to be coming up. So just something to try out, but there's so many different ways to journal. Absolutely. And you talked about sharing this with your students. What type of work do you do with your students as a whole? I teach my introductory course is called Awaken Living and I work with six to eight students. It's very small. We do it over Zoom, you know, whether we're sheltered at home or not. We've always done it over Zoom so that I can work with people all over the world, really. We read um, the untethered soul together. So that is kind of the, the curriculum of the course insofar as um, like it's almost a book discussion or a, a study group around that book over the course of four weeks. But then we also have journal prompts that are sent out every single week. And so our, when we come together for our 90 minute Zoom call, we are talking about like, what, what were you highlighting in the book? Like what's, what's really having you to pause and think? And then the journal prompts, what came up for you? What did you write? What, what's happening for you? And then in, in the midst of all that, we're cementing that morning centering practice. So then dealing with that, what's working? Is it happening? Why isn't it happening? What does your practice look like? What, what sort of elements are you incorporating into it? So it's a four week class done to really help people create and maintain a, a morning, a daily centering practice. And with the added spirit of what does it mean to tune into our inner world so, so that's yeah that's in working with all of these students have you found themes with the reasons why people are exploring this now in their lives anxiety 
I think the number one reason why people come to me is that they don't understand why they are so uncomfortable in their lives. They, their, their work has gotten out of control. Their cell phone has got, gotten out of control. Their, uh, maybe it's food or alcohol or shopping or just something. It's gotten compulsive. And they, and they have this sense that it shouldn't be that way that this isn't what, this wasn't the hand they were dealt, <laughs> that somehow this isn't how it should be. This isn't, that living isn't supposed to feel like this. And so when they come to me and I say to them, yes, <laughs> living isn't supposed to be like this. You're supposed to feel good. That's how we're designed. It's literally in the engineering of our brains. We were, we were designed to feel good. In fact, we were designed to feel good most of the time, our the functions of our brain and our body that get turned on by anxiety, um, you know, all of the systems that cause us to have fight or flight or freeze, were only designed to be used sparingly. But the opposite has happened. We live dominantly 90% of our life in fight or flight or freeze, anxiety, just chronic anxiety. And every once in a while, we visit the pleasure centers of our brain. And it, it's completely contradictory to the design of our body, which is why it, it feels like we're at war with ourselves, like why it feels like, and why we have this feeling like this shouldn't be like this, because it shouldn't. <laughs> we know it, it's not supposed to be like this. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a common thread over and over and over again. Are there easy ways to deal with the anxiety or to move past it, through it, however it ends up manifesting? None of it's easy, but it's all available. And, and what I mean by that is it's simple enough that anyone can do it, but it all takes effort and practice. So, so simple is the breath. You know, our breath is always available. We never have to look in our back pocket or dig through our purse for it. Like, ah, where did my breath go? Like we always have our breath and it is an incredible tool for, to, to use, to come back to ourselves on so many levels. Just, just stopping and taking 10 deep breaths tells our brain, oh, I'm safe. Because when we're when we are um, stressed and we are clenching, we actually breathe in a very shallow way, like like we would if we were afraid, like if we were hiding. We would want to take little breaths, and when we take a big breath and we start bringing more oxygen into our body, our the the safety parts of our brain turn back on. Oh, I'm safe. But even even the the focusing on ten breaths tell you know refocuses your brain away from a frantic thought or a frantic array of thoughts and has you change direction in that moment. It's almost like jumping off a speeding train. It's like, okay, I, I have my breath. So, so simple, but effort. I mean, try just counting 10 breaths, just 10 breaths, incredibly effortful, right? It's effortful, but but simple. Anyone can do that. I can prescribe that to anyone. And they're like, okay, great. I can count 10 breaths. Okay. Try. <laughs> try. And every time your brain wanders, start over and see how many times it takes for you to get to 10. 
And that's not like a setting me up, me setting up for failure. It's just me setting you up for like, wait till you see the power, like what your brain has been. That was one of the recommendations with the center point meditations that I do is, is, Mm -hmm. you know, close your eyes and to count your breaths. And I'm right with you. It's so hard to count to 10 doing that. So I can relate and I've got the audios in my ear at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's hard. And it's also totally attainable. Like we're not trying to get to the Olympics with our mindfulness. <laughs> like it's just, it's just counting breaths. We can do it. What other things do you recommend people do to deal with the anxiety or whatever other stress may come up because of that anxiety? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I'm so glad we're having this conversation today because I was just speaking with my therapist this morning about walking and she told me something that actually has me adds some richness to your, to our conversation. So if we had this conversation, I still would have said you should walk. Like I would, I would offer up walking as a, as a recommendation. But when I talked to my therapist and she explained why walking is so therapeutic, and it's the fact that we actually, we actually end up using the left and right side of our brains because we left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And it's actually very restorative for our brain and it opens up massive creative capacity. So people who notice that they're able to solve problems or come up with great ideas or um, see a different perspective when they're walking, that's not a coincidence. That, that's, that is, yes, it's nice to be in the fresh air, but it's the left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot that's actually rewiring the brain to give you access to the parts of your brain that solve problems, come up with ideas, offer new perspectives. So I would say walking. Walking is walking and breathing, right? <laughs> like nobody needs them. It doesn't cost $40 a month for that membership. You, you already have it. Just walk and breathe. Absolutely. And, it's, and you're already doing it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say the walking. And before we started recording, we're talking about we're both in Florida. I'm a big Disney fan. And I go to the theme parks all the time. And I find almost every time I go into the parks, because I'm out walking so much, that is where my most creative ideas come from. But I never connected it to the walking. So it's interesting that you bring that perspective today. Yeah. And I'll say, too, it's tempting to in our, you know, our very efficient, very productive world that we live in to bring your iPad or your iPhone and listen to a podcast or listen to an audiobook or talk on the phone. Like I've got 30 minutes, I've got 60 minutes, like I'm going to fill it with this other thing. Like how smart am I? I'm going to do this and this. And I would say, try that. Try for a week not doing that and see how it feels. And then the next week, bring your podcast or your audiobook or your mom <laughs> or whatever. And then at the end of those two weeks, take stock of what each felt like. What did it feel like when it was just you and it was just your thoughts and the birds and the sky and the breeze and, and then what it was like the next week when it was whoever was in your ear and see, because for me, what I found is that it's an entirely different experience when I have earbuds in my ear, I'm not, I'm not there. I lose the, the mindfulness gift that's in the walking. So yeah, that would be my 
tip for that. You know, one of the things that I heard several years ago also is uh, turn the walking into a gratitude lesson. And I try to do that from time to time. I'll be out and I'm thankful for the sun. I'm thankful for the breeze. I'm thankful for the green grass, for the chirping birds and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of solitude in that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this morning I was, I was getting really present to just how God, spirit, the universe, whatever is in everything, you know, that we're just completely surrounded by this incredible universe. And like every time I saw a squirrel or something, I was in my head, I would think like, hi, God, (laughs) or like, I saw a lizard. And I was like, hi, God, like, there you are again. And you know, I'm not a religious person at all. I'm deeply spiritual person. But it's true when when we look for it, when we look for the divine, or we look for the awe of this existence, we can certainly find it, even just walking in our own neighborhood. Absolutely. I agree completely. I know you've got so much going on in your life. We talked a little bit about it in the intro piece. How do you find time to do all of that and still have a podcast also? Mm, that's... You know, I think I, I think one of the benefits of this work, when you start to do your inner work and you spend some time in contemplation and reflection, it starts to get easier to say yes and to say no, because your, your intuition starts to participate in your decision-making. And I can tell you that while it looks like I say yes to a lot of things, I'm saying no to way more. And my intuition, if I listen to it, and I don't always, it always says something, and I'm not always heeding its advice. But when I do, and I'm, I'm thinking of that expression, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a yeah. no. And I actually abide by that. Then my life is just filled with a bunch of hell yeses and, and, and like very few things that I don't want to be doing. And so... I don't really have to find the time because I've, I've made the time by what I decided to say yes and no to. I, one of my coaches uses the hell yes example also. So that one resonates at a very deep level for me. I get that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I almost feel like I should get that like burned onto wood in like in our house, because I think with kids, that's a really important lesson. My, my daughter, uh, we, we use that a lot with her because she's a, she's, She's just a yes kid, you know, like, oh, I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. And when we start explaining how much things cost, you know, and not, and not like, I want to be like, well, do you know what this costs? But like, so she, she, she has a context, like she's going to be a grown up one day and she's going to be in charge of paying for things. <laughs> right. So, but when we taught her that she was like, oh, well, I don't think I'm a hell yes for this. And I was like, okay, great. How old is she? Then. And we're a no nine nine and she, yeah and, and she, and she gets no. the hell yeah that's awesome <laughs> I think she likes being allowed to say hell oh that could be that could be <laughs> why not <laughs> so we're we're coming up near the end of the time I want to be respectful of your time but I'm wondering if there's a question that I didn't ask or didn't think to ask or should have asked hmm I think one of the things I'd really love for people to know is you don't you don't have to meditate to, to have a mindful life. It, it, it feels like those two go hand in hand. Like if you're going to wake up early, that's the thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to meditate. And if you don't meditate, then it doesn't count. And if you do meditate and you don't do it right, quote unquote, 
then that didn't count either. And what I really would love for people to know is that you can become a tremendously centered, peaceful, mindful person and never spend one second meditating. What I will say though, is that the more time you re-inhabit yourself, the more time you come back to your inner world, the more you'll enjoy being there. And so when you are ready to meditate, when you are ready to just sit there and close your eyes and be in your inner world, it'll actually feel like home. It won't feel like this foreign place where you're like, ah, I don't know how to do this. And this is uncomfortable. And I keep on thinking. And so if it feels like, ah, it's just hard, then just let it go. Don't worry about it. Journal, go for a walk, just sit in stillness, just sit still. Just maybe listen to a guided meditation. Like there's just so many ways into the forest that it's like, there's not one path. And I think I, I think people put way too much pressure on themselves that if you're going to be a spiritual person, you should be meditating. I disagree. I can relate to the uh, to the first part of what you just said, because that's what I felt for a very long period of time. And I've since shifted that belief. And I feel a lot better now with that. Good, good. It should feel good. Like we do so many things in a day that we have like, that are like, we have to do it. And it's like, this should feel good. If you set up a morning practice and you decide I'm going to go spend 30, 60 minutes with myself, like I should look forward to it. I should be, I should feel like, Ooh, I can't wait to be with myself. You know, it's like, and that's how I feel now. So yeah, if any part of that feels like drudgery, it's, it's not the practice that's the problem. It's the thing that things maybe that you're forcing yourself to do inside of it. Absolutely. I appreciate that on many levels. Okay. How can the listeners reach out and connect with you if they want to learn more about you and connect and circle in your universe? Awesome. Well, they can go to 60mindfulminutes.com and uh, there they can, I have a blog there and there's a free audio course that, that um, you can take. If you want to learn how to start a daily centering practice and just 10 minutes, it's like 10 minute audio clips get delivered every single day. And then um, you can get access to my podcast and listen to some of the cool people that I've interviewed over the last ooh, almost four years now. I think I'm on episode 75 or something like that. So yeah, if it, it, it feels like uh, I kind of want to learn more about being more connected, more conscious, more intentional, then um, yeah, there's lots of resources over there at, on my website. Terrific. And we'll put that in the show notes for everybody as well. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on today. It has been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, John. The pleasure is mine. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Total Freedom with John Racine at www.totalfreedompodcast.com.